Hello, ASPN listeners. This is the one and only Erica Sears, host of Big Tourism, a show on the American Shoreline Podcast Network that provides a perspective into the complicated and intricate world of tourism and, maybe more importantly, into the world of destination management. Before I get started, I just wanted to say that if you have a big idea or case study for big tourism that you think is worth spotlighting, please shoot me a message on LinkedIn because I would love to hear it. So for the past several weeks, I have been covering COVID-19 and more specifically, its impacts on a variety of stakeholders on the Oregon coast. From lodging and restaurants to emergency management and vacation rentals, We've really held some interesting conversations, and whether you knew it or not, uh, you've all had a glimpse into the work that I do, which is working with these different entities to better understand what is most needed during this time and in this space. So thanks for joining me at work. Um, So today we are going to continue with this coastal COVID-19 theme with a guest that is basically a celebrity. She is one of the people I most admire in both the outdoor recreation and environmental advocacy space. She's fearless, powerful, and one of the easiest people to get along with. So who is this person you're all wondering? It's Kate Crump. For those of you who somehow don't know who Kate is, she's a fishing guide, hunter, co-owner of Frigate Travel, and ambassador for Patagonia, Loop Tackle, Costa, Fish Pond, and Rising Tools. Along with her partner Justin and their yellow labs, Kata and Nuka, Kate guides in the Pacific Northwest, Alaska's Bristol Bay, and Southern Baja. She is also an environmental activist, a member of North Coast Communities for Watershed Protection, board member for Pacific Rivers, and works with Save Bristol Bay to close the door on the Pebble Mine Initiative in the Bristol Bay headwaters of Alaska. It is certainly an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me, Kate. Oh, thanks, Erica. That was such a uh, glowing introduction. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Are you pumped up and ready? Um, So I just thought we would start with some background questions, give people kind of a picture of what you do. And because everyone is probably stuck inside, um, it's currently pouring down rain on the Oregon coast. So I think people are stuck inside here as well. I thought we could just kind of take everybody on an audio tour of a year in the life of Kate Crump. So, you know, what waters are you wading in in each season and what species of fish are you after? Um, So if we were to start on a calendar year in January, February, March, and April, um, I'm guiding with my husband on the Oregon coast um, on uh, basically steelhead rivers. So these short, uh, big rivers that flow uh, right into our bays. And we have fresh wild steelhead entering um, these river systems from Thanksgiving until the end of April or so. And they're on these journeys to spawn in the headwaters. And we're there to target them. We have guests that come from all over the world to um, fish with us here. And yeah, we're just showing them what an amazingly green and vivid place this is in the wintertime. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, and then after you're on the Oregon coast, you guys migrate up to Alaska. Is that right? Yeah, we we usually try to do a fun trip uh, somewhere warm, like tarpon fishing in Key West or Christmas Island. 
um, for saltwater fish in there in between our seasons. And then early June or end of May, we migrate north to Bristol Bay, Alaska. And Bristol Bay is home to the largest return of sockeye salmon left in the world. And it has uh, incredibly healthy runs of wild salmon that still return to the area and the region. And also uh, with that comes um, incredible wild populations of rainbow trout, Arctic char, Arctic grayling, Dolly Varden, Northern pike, lake trout. Uh, Along with that, big, huge uh, brown bears, coastal brown bears, and wolves and moose and caribou, uh, you know, pretty amazing populations of wildlife. It's a, basically the region has a, uh, Katmai National Park as its headwaters, Bashirak Wildlife Refuge, Wood Tick Chick State Park. Um, so it has all this pristine um, wilderness and, and headwaters to sort of allow this um, incredible diversity. Yeah, that sounds amazing and incredibly wild. I People are often jealous of me um, because I get to drive up and down the Oregon coast, which is incredible. But <laughs> you are actually seeing like the entire West Coast and you're seeing it from the waters, you know, from your boat or wading in. Um, so you definitely, I would say, are one of the luckiest people in the world to do what you do. Um so what, I'm kind of curious, what kind of person is joining you on these trips? I know you said people come from all over the world, but what kind of experience level do they have or how do they find you? Um, I know I see on your guys' Instagram, everyone looks like they're wearing the right gear. They look like they know what they're doing. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what kind of clients you guys have joining you? Um, we have uh, such a wide range of people that I think inherently in all of the people that come with us that they have some sense of adventure or some respect for nature and um i think that's pretty consistent but as far as like skill level uh we get uh, people that have never casted a fly rod before or i've had people that have never casted a spinning rod before um have never been on a uh, on a river in a drift boat or on a river in a um, jet boat or have never been in a float plane Um, And then other people that have been coming to Alaska, you know, for 20 years or more uh, and coming to the Oregon coast um, since we started 10 years ago. And uh, so it varies. And we're so comfortable and excited to share this, these places because we love them so much with, uh, with anyone that wants to. Right. And so is it safe to say that all of your clients are basically visitors, which means they're traveling for more than 50 miles to get to whatever site you guys are at? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's interesting. So it's like you definitely depend on the tourism industry. I think sometimes because you guys are actually like hidden, like you're actually like out in the wild, that people don't often think of guides and outfitters as part of the tourism industry or somehow how like impacts to the tourism industry like COVID-19, which we'll get to in a minute, um, is also affecting, you know, small business owners and guys and outfitters like you. So I love just making sure that we are clear on that. Um, so kind of going into, you know, we've definitely talked about these beautiful, you know, pristine areas that you, you know, are working in and people are coming to have these experiences with you. And as I'd mentioned in your intro, um, you are highly involved and very outspoken with environmental and conservation organizations. 
Um, so I guess just broadly, why? Why is it important for you to be doing that? Well, I think that you touched on it that uh, we are hidden as guides and outfitters being on the water. You don't see us. We're not, we don't have these storefronts and these flags out front. You know, so we're in these places and we're immersed in it and we see um, we see what's uh, affecting these watersheds. And it's so personal because I spend, you know, eight to 10 hours a day in waders on the water. So I'm, I feel extremely connected to that. That's my office per se. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's disheartening when I see um, issues that are that are affecting that. And also I'm utilizing the resource, which essentially is a public resource. So it really is my responsibility to help take care of that. Right. Um, I feel like I, I feel like I owe that to people. Yeah, definitely. You're kind of like a, you're like a steward um, with the way you're conducting your business. And when you're, I guess, either in, you know, on the Oregon coast or in Alaska, do you think that a lot of the other guides and outfitters actually consider themselves environmentalists as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think for some people that might be, um, a scary term, Mm -hmm. but, um, most guides that I work around or work with have a, um, a deep reverence for these places that they are working. And, um, I do feel like they want the best for these places. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes, yeah, it makes sense for them as well for, you know, the sustainability of having those resources available to them makes sense as well. Yeah. I think that people, I think that uh, guides struggle with how they can get involved, but Hmm. I think everyone does. (laughs) So that's, that's a kind of a perfect little transition is I was going to ask, so you know, obviously you're outspoken sort of in your, in your personal life about these things, but do you talk about these environmental issues? And I guess specifically, you know, you're really involved with the pebble mine and really with a lot of the clear cutting and aerial spraying on the Oregon coast. Do you talk about these environmental issues that kind of point to the clear cuts when you're with your clients or do you try to shield them from that? Absolutely not. I can't, <laughs> one, I can't shield them from it. Um, it's mm-hmm. pretty in your face. Um, but I do talk about it. I mean, it's so important. And I, I mean, I have guests that come back year after year and they of course fall in love with these places. That's why they come back and they, they, maybe they come back for the fish, but the, uh, with the fish comes the environment. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I speak about this stuff a lot. So my guests um, often ask me like, hey, what's going on with the pebble mine in Alaska? Yeah. What's going on with the spraying in the Oregon coast? Is that getting better? Well, it's good. It's good to hear that, you know, in tourism, we often talk about the idea that if visitors have a meaningful experience and gain a deeper understanding of a place. So understanding what a marine reserve is and why that's important or a national forest or, or whatever it may be. We see, we say, and we see that they become lifelong advocates for both the people and the habits that they, habitats that they fell in love with. Um, and also just become better visitors while they're here because they kind of understand why it's important. So you said that, you know, your customers, they definitely learn about the issue. Have you seen them become advocates in their own ways for any of these specific issues? 
Yes, um, especially with the Pebble Mine in Bristol Bay, Alaska. Um, a lot of our guests uh, contribute to organizations that are fighting that and have been fighting it for over a decade. Um, and on the Oregon coast, um, if I have sort of take action um, items, you know, for my guests, they participate. Cool. And I think something that's pretty unique about you too, that maybe a lot of guides and outfitters don't have is that you're also a Patagonia ambassador. You have a large following on Instagram. So I think when you send something out there like, Hey, did you guys know this is happening? That people really react and you definitely have an audience. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's fortunate that you have that kind of audience to communicate with. So moving on to the old COVID-19 impacts, which I'm sure everyone is just so tired. I actually was looking at an email that you guys had sent out and it was like another COVID-19 email, but it's from your fishing guide. So (laughs) here's some more COVID-19 impacts, but from your fishing guides, everybody. Um, So just to get that conversation started, what is one word that you would describe, um, that you would use to describe how COVID-19 has impacted or is impacting your business? Closed. Closed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think closed in different and maybe more ways than people would think. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about what impacts this pandemic has had on, I guess, specifically your steelhead season, which should have been happening right now in Oregon? Yeah. So um, we are pretty, um, we're pretty insular. So uh, we felt like we could have this sort of social distancing. Um, we wouldn't, we're not bringing guests out into like the supermarket or into um, uh, restaurants and things like that here on the coast. So mm-hmm. we, we felt like we could operate safely. And we had sort of a sanitation program lined up with um, our housekeeper at the lodge and everything. Um, and certainly in the early stages of COVID, early March, we had guests that um, let us know that they wouldn't be able to make their trip because they had a family member that was immune compromised or they Mm -hmm. themselves were. Um, And so that was very understandable. And then we had other um, guests that really wanted to come and they had a private plane and they were planning on flying in and, um, nobody had any symptoms, you know, so they Mm -hmm. felt comfortable and safe. And then without any notice on, on the day that they were supposed to arrive, the County shut down all transient lodging, uh, basically no visitors to the Oregon coast. So it stopped everything in its tracks. And we had uh, a few weeks left on the books of, you know, seven days a week guiding, which is not typical for us. We normally are guiding Monday through Friday days, um, Mm -hmm. but we had sort of backfilled our end of season. And so we had already bought the food and everything that goes along with it. Um, Here we have all this um, and no guests to share it with. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own 
Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. So what happened to the guests that were flying in that day? Were they able, did they show up and it was canceled or were they able to not come? They were able to not come. Um, okay. But you know, like these guests have already paid for this experience and we've already spent their money for the experience. So it's definitely a um, bad spot to be in, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's been, it's been tricky in Oregon sort of with the outdoor recreation and, you know, state parks to shut down forest service lands, BLM lands. And it's understandable, you know, because when they have big parking lots and everyone's crowding the trails, What's sort of unique about what you guys do or what, you know, guides do in general is that it would have been just like one family that was already living together, traveling together, and then they would have been with you guys in the boat and then kind of away from everybody else. Um, So what you were saying earlier, like you might have been able to maintain some of that social distancing, Um, but that's brutal. Yeah, because all the boat launches were closed in our county, but can I thought that some of them were open to commercial use, but are you guys not considered commercial? Right. It was, they were open to commercial uh, use in harvesting of food. So, Mm, but I mean, they shut down any access point. So it's not like you could really drop your boat in anywhere. I mean, we can't even, we can't even go crabbing just my husband and the dogs and I, there's nowhere to put our boat in the bay here and go crabbing for ourselves. Um, yeah, it's yeah, definitely a unique, yeah, it's certainly a unique situation. It's the first time, obviously, our county has dealt with this. Um, so what are you guys doing with your downtime? Have you, have you been able to pivot your business at all or be able to do some, maybe some more marketing for future stuff? Or what does your downtime look like now that you don't have any clients? Well, it was really uncomfortable at first um, because we went <laughs> from, you know, guiding every day and I had a schedule and I get up at 530 and I go to bed at 930 and everything's pretty, I mean, besides what happens on the water, everything's pretty like structured. And on the weekends, I wash my boat and I wash my truck and I get everything ready for the next day or for the next week, you know. And um, yes, yeah, so there was some awkward space there at the beginning of what are we supposed to do with ourselves? And how can we go fishing uh, for ourselves at least um, and not use a boat? And Or can we use a boat? Or is there little sneaky places we can get in uh, legally? And um, <laughs> So it was really awkward at first, but I also had this long list of um, some marketing things that I wanted to create. And uh, 
And so I had the opportunity to do that and, and I'm currently still working on. So, um, like, uh, one of our, uh, our gal who runs our social media and works with us in Alaska, she is designing a website, a new website for us. So that's super exciting and fun and takes a lot of time to come up yeah, with and it's Yeah, now you have the time to <laughs> check in on that project and yeah. maybe give a little more input. So yeah. speaking of Alaska, so you said you guys kind of go up there end of May, beginning of June. What are you anticipating for your salmon season up there right now? I mean, there's different dates being thrown around. Obviously, different states are opening, kind of opening. What are you guys thinking about that? Well, um, we're really waiting to see. There, uh, Because of where we operate uh, being so remote and having such a high uh, native indigenous population, they are very concerned about COVID. There's no medical facility to take care of people who um, who are experiencing the symptoms, um, especially in e- extreme cases. So sure. they would have to be flown out. Um, currently, the major airline that flies in there uh, went bankrupt. So the traditional methods of getting in, into this remote area are cut off now. And um, and I think mostly just that fear-based uh, uh, response from the community. There is a 14-day quarantine if you come into that area. And so that would make it impossible for us to do our job. Um, right, could... because that's longer than the trip they would have even had there, yeah. right? 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless there's any guests that want to come and fish in Alaska for a month and we'll take you. <laughs> You know, anybody tired of being inside their house (laughs) to go a month out in the wild? Um, So it seems like it's pretty uncertain for you guys. Are you still making plans for, you know, just you guys to go up there and be up there for the season? Or is everything just still in limbo? Well, we are full steam ahead until we hear differently. Um, We're hoping that there is some sort of um, concession or some way to deal with this in a safe manner. Um, But all of our guests are so positive um, and feel completely uh, prepared to be there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we I think we had one person in Alaska that canceled because their father was just too elderly, elderly to travel under these conditions. Um, yeah. So we have a lot of people that are like, we're coming. Um, we'll be there if we can be there and host our guests. We'll absolutely be there. Um, we have a house there so we can go quarantine and get ready. Um, yeah. So that would be a safe way to handle that for sure. You know, the it's, other- it's, it's interesting. You were saying like, you know, people that usually come and have these experiences with you guys are adventurers. So I guess it's not surprising that they're like, yeah, I'm still down to go. Yeah. <laughs> like there's all this, uns- everyone else is like, oh, I better not leave my house. They're like, yeah, bring it on. Um, my, we jokingly call that the COVID cowboys, um, my friends and I, but yeah, that is super, <laughs> super interesting. Um, Something that you had said earlier, and I was going to ask as well, um, which is actually good information just also for me and my job, is that it's been interesting during this time to see like what kind of businesses and organizations, like who they rely on for information and resources. So earlier you said, you know, the county shut down just like the next day. You had no idea. So 
who is it? Is there, is there an organization that guides and outfitters can rely on for communications, financial support during this, during uncertain times like this, like the Marine board or who is it? That's kind of the leader for guides and outfitters, or is there even a leader for you guys? Well, um, I would, uh, that's a good question. Um, there is one leader that I've looked to and that's AFTA and that's the American fly fishing trade association. But that does leave out a huge population of guides that aren't fly fishing guides. And so um, I'm not sure who the resource is for for kind of the greater fishing groups. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely thinking about that just because, you know, we see like small business, small businesses rely on a small business development center or their chamber of commerce and I was just curious too, like who was kind of a central point of information for you guys. Um, Also going back to to some of that environmental efforts and advocacy that we were talking about, have you noticed COVID-19 impacting any of these efforts just because there's all these different lockdowns or are things still going full steam ahead? Well, uh, talking to the, um, talking to the uh, nonprofit groups that I work with, they're um, full steam ahead and they don't feel super phased by this yet. Um, and they have a lot of work on their plate. You know, um, the Pebble Mine project is being pushed through at an unprecedented rate. And so uh, Save Bristol Bay and Defend Bristol Bay are working so hard to bring awareness to that issue. Um, this is such a monumental time for that fight. We need everyone to step up and and understand why Bristol Bay needs to stay uh, wild and not have the largest mm-hmm. open pit mine there. And, um, and, and the jobs, the small, I mean, the small businesses that operate there um, and the indigenous people, it's, it's so important right now. Um, so they're full steam ahead. They've been doing webinars on uh, what's happening uh, currently with the pebble, how you can get involved. They have a webinar on the 28th about uh, 101 on Pebble. So what the project is and how we've gotten to this point where we are now. And that's an incredible um, opportunity to learn more about it from the people that have been fighting it for over a decade. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of changes the dynamic because I would say a lot of times like environmental efforts will be like, oh, we're going to have a big rally or we are going to go physically protest at the site. But because now it's like, please don't leave your house and like, don't talk to anybody. Um, it has been cool to see people sort of pivot to these online platforms, just like what you're saying, like a webinar. Um, and now it's open to people that wouldn't have been able to attend that rally or maybe go to that workshop in that town. Um, so it kind of has a, sort of a greater audience. It'll be interesting to see how you know successful that is in educating people. Yeah, I think also it's an opportunity where we aren't running around doing a hundred things every day. So it's easier to say, yeah, I'll join that webinar and learn something about this issue. Um, Even for myself, just having more time at home, I've been researching the aerial spraying areas um, on the coast right now and those applications and what they mean and where they're taking place. And I've never had time to do that. I mean, right. And do you want to just briefly talk about um, what is aerial spraying in case one of our listeners might not know or become, be familiar with that? Sure. Um, when timber companies, mostly private timber companies, uh, clear cut 
um, areas, they come in and they use helicopters to aerial spray with uh, a cocktail of toxic chemicals, uh, pesticides and herbicides to basically kill um, the weeds like blackberries and uh, devil's club and things like that and let the trees grow up into these areas. And it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. So it is interesting. It'll be, you know, listeners out there, if you have some downtime, you can, uh, you know, you can research like an adventure with frigate travel, maybe do a little research about the pebble mine, uh, you know, really get on board here. <laughs> Um, is there just kind of wrapping up, is there one or two things that you wish listeners out there, you know, maybe listeners that are lawmakers in DC or policymakers, or maybe just fellow citizens going through something similar that you are, you know, our audience is the entire shoreline of the United States. Is there something that you wish they knew about what you're going through right now? And you can choose what hat you want to wear, small business owner, fishing guide, environmentalist, coastal citizen. Oh, can I choose them all? Yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, as, as a small business owner, uh, I feel like so many other small business owners feel the same way as me. We've been hearing about how we're going to get help to make it through this and, um, and to come out on the other end. And we're all still waiting to get that help. Um, mm-hmm. So it's frustrating and it uh, brings uncertainty to a time that there's already so much uncertainty. Um, as a as a fishing guide, I wish that um, that sort of the tourism industry and other fishing guides understood um, how important these places that we're spending our time is, and and to really uh, be knowledgeable about what it takes to. Um, not only preserve them, but also to make sure that they're healthy for us and our children moving forward and for the communities that uh, these watersheds flow through. And I guess that's almost environmental hat as well. Um, I really, environmentally, I wish everyone uh, felt strongly about how important water is and how vital clean water is to the health of everything. Yeah, just, yeah, I mean, everything from, you know, just your livability, your future, your even business. It, yeah, it definitely affects everything. Yeah. Um, well, well said. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, it's been certainly interesting to kind of weave together both sort of like your personal and um, business life because they are often the same thing, especially when you have a small business, especially when you're working and living on the Oregon coast. Um, you know, we wear many hats and we look great wearing all of them. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So, <laughs> thank you so much again for joining me. Um, what is a website if somebody wanted to check out Frigate Travel? Frigatetravel.com. Okay. It's easy. Thanks for tuning in listeners. And thanks again to Kate Crump for joining us on Big Tourism. Thanks, Erica.